On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for a very good welcome. We are kings of convenience from Norway, and we will prove it. filler the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records in each episode we'll dive into a little history of the artist and the album of choice with snippets from interviews and concerts as well as music from the album itself on this week's episode we're going to dive into kings of convenience's second studio album Riot on an Empty Street. My name's Quentin. I've got my brother Travis with me, as always. So, so Q, I'm expecting you to give me um, give me credit today, at some point, for turning you on to this great group. I am going to give you credit, Travis. Okay, thank you. Let's let's paint the picture here. Our first intro to Kings of Convenience was actually in Monterey, Mexico. Probably, what, like 2004, 2005, maybe? We were. 2004, I believe. Okay. We were on a missionary trip with our church's youth group. We were down in Monterey, Mexico, building a church. And we were posted up in these, in this fairly nice hotel in Monterey. You weren't even my roommate, dude, for, for that trip. But I remember going over to your hotel room. I remember we switched, we, we turned on the TV and switched it over to like MTV Mexico, whatever. MT- it, I think whatever it was just it MTV Two. Okay, and um, <laughs> <laughs> what? We switched over to MTV Mexico. <laughs> whatever, man. I and, think it was just the one that MTV Two, which which from what I remember, just played nothing but music videos. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and we saw a music video for uh, a song called Miss Red, which is track two on this album by Kings of Convenience, uh, one of the singles off of this album. And I liked it, dude. Like I liked that song a lot. It's it, it's. I think when you listen to the album as a whole, this is the more like up tempo song. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's yeah. So. Yeah, I remember liking that song, and then, Travis, you got into this album, and you got into this band before I did, and the reason being, 
So 2003, 2004, what were we? We were, what, 16, 17? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, leading up to that time, historically, we were not listening to this kind of music. No. Um, we were listening to rock, basically, right? Yeah. And this kind of music just wasn't on our radar, and it wasn't something that we were into because we were budding teenage boys, well, right? Well, this might be like the first like soft music that I that I really like clung to. You know what I mean? That I yes. that I found uh, a connection with. Man, and what a band to be introduced to this kind of music too. You know? Well, I feel like this this um, this uh, subgenre of subgenre of pop folk this folk yeah it's pop folk, started folk to, pop yeah yeah it started yeah. to 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 really uh get some attention and and um and really catch on around 2000 early 2000s like you know you had you know you let's just name like who comes to mind like you got band of horses fleet foxes even and you got bands like bell and sebastian who had actually been doing it for a while but and then like seawolf you remember them seawolf Oh yeah, and uh, Matt Pompier. Yes, like this was the time for that kind of softer indie pop folk type music, you know. So I yeah, think and there it, was even a um, like kind of like a phrase that caught on around that time. And Kings of Convenience, their first album, they named their album off of this phrase: "Quiet is the new loud." That was kind of I don't know where where the phrase came from or anything, but that's kind of the the whole thing, like. Around this time, this more soft, kind of folky pop music was was kind of hitting the mainstream. Yeah, so like it was just the time for that kind of music, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, and it took me a while to get to get into it. Like I remember, because you were you, dude, you were you were Mister Emo back then. You know what I mean? Yes, I know what you mean. God damn it! That's, yeah, dude, that's I what was. was going on. Yep, you're right. <laughs> and you're like. Are they screaming? I'm not, no, I'm not. <laughs> yes, I had the 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 parted bangs that went over one eyeball. You only had yeah, shit you, out of my right eye. You only had one exposed eyeball for yeah. at least a year and a half. Yep, yep, yep. I remember, Travis. Thank you. But Thank see, you. but the, what's funny is okay. So we're twin brothers, right? And this was about the time where we we wanted to be different. So it's just funny that you were doing that, and I was kind of the flip the flip side of that coin and that was more like i don't know i mean i i would wear like the i went to like goodwill and bought like a blazer with a fucking patch on the on the elbows and stuff you know not right. because i was trying to be like you know mr highbrow but you know i was i think i think the strokes kind of turned me on to wearing blazers with with oh, skinny yeah, jeans oh yeah me right? too man yeah. I was all about that shit. Yeah. But but anyway, so I was listening to Kings of Convenience and, you know, Matt Pompier and stuff like that. And you were listening to, um, I don't know, Kane Hodder or something like that. or, or uh, Don't. You know. Don't you dare say that. <laughs> You're right, but don't say it. Uh, but anyway. Yes, and like Under Oath and all that shit. Right, exactly. Yeah. But, but anyway, so. But I came around. I came around. Um, of, yeah, and, of course you did. Yeah. There's just something about these dudes. Hey, guess what we didn't do? We're gonna do it. Okay. We'll do, do you know right what now. I'm you saying? Do right now. We'll do it right now. Yeah. yeah. Let's do our what you hurts because 
uh, we always get too damn excited and start talking about about the band uh, for the week before we dive into our whatcha herds. Um, I'm gonna do mine for let me do mine first, Trev. So I'm a huge fan of of NPR music. I tend to really like most bands that NPR music features. They do these things called first listens where they will stream an entire album before it gets released. And uh, let's see, a little over a week ago, they did a first listen on this folk artist who goes by Haley Hendricks. I think that's how you say it. There's an X in there somewhere. Um, her brand new album is called I Need to Start a Garden. And it's not released until um, March 2nd. But you can stream the entire album on NPR Music. It's beautiful, man. It's just, And I'm going to play the first song on the album. It's called No Face. And just right from the beginning, you're just it just pulls you in. Um what I like about it, so I've, I've listened to it all the way through. It's a pretty short album um, for the amount of songs that are, that's on there. It's not too long. Um, it starts out really just her vocals and her guitar. And then farther into the album, she starts to add in drums and, you know, other musicians. And it goes from like this. So her voice kind of reminds me of Feist, which is great because... We'll probably bring this up at some point. Feist has collaborated with Kings of Convenience. On this album, they do. Yeah. As it goes on, it gets a little a little heavier. She starts to remind me of Courtney Barnett, which is I don't know who one of my favorite. What? I don't know who that is either. Are you kidding me, dude? I ain't messing. You need to listen to some Courtney Barnett, man. I'll send you some links to some of her albums, man. She's fucking great. She's like a... She's, I don't know, indie folk rock artist. Um, really clever lyrics, and and same here with Haley Hendricks. Uh, really good lyrics. J- just a really solid album all the way through. Um, she has one EP called Fish Eyes that was released a couple years ago. So this is her first um, full-length album. I'm not going to say much more, dude. Let- I'm just going to play it.
Yeah, man, that's uh, beautiful, just like you said. Like, chilling, dude. Chilling vocals. Yeah, I love it, dude. That's oh. good. And good re- it, you really do need to listen to it all the way through, because like I said, it starts to kind of pick up like midway through the album, and she starts to add more musicians and drums and all that. Wow. It's, it's really great. Really great. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how drums get, get, get pulled into that. Yeah, it, it's really cool the way that she, like, I'm going to start this album off with just me and a guitar, and then each song's going to kind of build. I'm going to bring more musicians into it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just great, dude. You really need to listen to it. Um, it's still just as intimate with the lyrics. Um, even with these other musicians that play a part later on in the album, it's still very intimate if you pay attention to the, to the lyrics. It's very revealing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's great. Really good stuff. So again, that's Haley Heinrich's first full-length album, I Need to Start a Garden, which is out on March 2nd. Travis, what you heard, brother? Okay, so this song is from a Danish ambient music trio called Future 3. This song in particular features a, another artist by the name of Binoy Purlar, I believe is how you pronounce it. He's a, let's see, where is he from? Oh, well, you know what's funny, dude? His actual name is Thomas. <laughs> what? Thomas, Thomas uh, Miluch. He goes by the name Binoit Pular. He was born in the United States, man. <laughs> wow. This guy's really Oh uh, man, I figured really he really wants he, to be uh, That sounds French to me. Yeah, man. he was born in he was born in Michigan. Anyway, he so the, so his his vocals is is what you're hearing on the track. Q, you've actually heard him. You saw him open for Lossel, is that right? That's correct. That must I did have been see a great him show. open for Lossel. Yeah. I think last year. Yeah, it, it, it was great, dude. Very ambient. Uh, yeah. At least his live performance was super ambient, almost noise tracks, like the stuff that he did with his, with his guitar. He yeah. didn't sing at all okay. during the performance. It was just, he was just fucking around with his guitar and he had a bunch of different effects pedals that he, that he fucked with. It was really cool, very captivating. So yeah, he's a multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter. Um, he kind of, it sounds like he he does a lot of field recordings and incorporates them into his music. Uh, you know, much like Lossel or BBO or something like that, you know. So right. anyway, uh, but I actually, my favorite part about this song is is his, uh, his voice, like the way that he sings in this is very unique and... This song is just very like I don't know. It's just a very um, laid back, chill kind of song. But what what makes it interesting is his voice. Like I said, you don't often hear a vocal track like this on a uh, ambient electronic song. So anyway, uh, this song is called Well, shit, I can't exactly pronounce it because it's like M M N. So. Mm, maybe mm. 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 but anyway that's that's the name of the track it's off of a, a future three album called with and without that came out in 2014 and it features Benoit Pular on vocals let's hear it <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that, dude. There, you're right. There's something about it. It's it's different. So you know what's what's funny, man. I just now while we were listening to this, remembered who who this reminded me of. It sounds a lot like uh, how Beck sang on Morning Phase. Hmm. Like hard as a drum. No, you're right, man. Yeah, I know what you or mean. Morning. Same with on um, Sea Change. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, uh, there's just something about that track. You know, yeah, I like that a lot, and I think it's a good companion. companion. Oh man, here we go. Hey, that's here we go. We're twins. Here we go. <laughs> good companion for Kings of Convenience. So anyway, yeah. um, let's get into it, man. It's time. Let's okay. Let's let's do it. Let's let's talk about these boys. Who are these so, fellows? Kings of Convenience. Two dudes from Norway, Erland Oya and Eirik Glembeck Bo. Now that's my best pronunciation of his name. This is the worst episode for having to pronounce names correctly i'm not gonna let's let's refer to him as eric okay not Eric, okay because there's different ways to pronounce his name eric and erland they kind of joke about that because there's so many different dialects in norway so yeah erland and eric from norway both born in 1975 so they're roughly the same age uh they've known each other for a long time they met back at age 10 they attended different schools, but they both entered a geography contest that was going on between their schools in Norway. And actually, we've got a clip. Let's just play it. They'll kind of explain kind of how they met and Let's hear it. all that good stuff. Let's hear it, brother. Uh, move on any further. Let's talk first of all about how, how you two guys first got together. You guys have known each other quite some time, right? Yes, we know each other since we were 10 years old. We actually met in a, in a geography contest. Okay, you got to tell me about the geography contest. We were both, uh, we were um, going to different schools, but we were both kind of the bright lights of our, our classes. And we were um, very good in remembering capitals of the world. So we entered in this uh, geography contest between the schools in Bergen, Norway. And we were both in the, the last group of people who were in this contest. So the the final the final the finals of the yeah. geography schools contest. Did either of you win? I actually won for you my did. for my ability to draw a world map. 
So they were the brainiacs of their classes. Yeah. Dude, um, uh, if I tried to draw a map, uh, like a world map at age 10, it would be Dude, I couldn't pathetic, do it. I couldn't man. do it right now, man. Oh, I, I could do, do it right, right now. now to save my life. Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. I think that's just the American school system, dude. If I, if we're oh, is that serious. we're going to get into that now? No, you're right. Saying, man. Yeah, so they met up again in junior high. They actually were in the same class. Um, they were around 16 years old. And then they became friends through a similar interest in playing guitar. They're like, hey, I play guitar too. Let's become friends. And at age 20, they were in a band together called Skog that didn't last very long. Uh, nothing special really came out of that. We won't really get into that. Um, a few a few years later, so we're talking like probably late 90s, early 2000s, they decided to just ditch the other band members and just stay together as a duo and kind of start playing more pretty like folky stuff. Um, and actually, I've got another clip uh, from the same interview that we played earlier it talks about when they first started playing music together and kind of what led to kings of convenience so so when you when you say you first met when you were 10 years old when did you uh when did you first start making music together and, and how did that come about when we were 16 we were both in the same class in uh, what you call college high school i don't know what you call junior it junior high school and we i had just bought a guitar and erlen had just bought a guitar and um that was the reason for us to start hanging out together. It was like, hey, weren't you that guy from that geography contest? <laughs> yeah, that was me. What are you doing now? I play guitar. Oh, I just bought a guitar too. Let's meet. And then we started making not-so-sweet mu- music in the beginning. It took some time be- before it became sweet. But I mean, um, it, was, it was basically the same thing as we're doing now. Two guitars. and uh, Well, I, I actually didn't sing. Yeah, I did sing at first, but then I kind of left... Uh, you got self-conscious. Yeah, and I, I let Erlen do the singing for a few years. And then, I mean, we we, f- we s- started a rock band, and uh, and Erlen was the lead singer of the rock band. And then a few years later, I discovered that, hey, I can o- also sing. And uh, that's when we started our harmonizing. All right. Let's start talking about their harmonizing, dude. It's a thing of beauty. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we, we talked about Crosby, Stills, and Nash last week. And, you know, there's that interview clip from Graham Nash when he was talking about how when their voices came together, you know, just there's nothing like it. You know what I mean? There's just... Yeah. Uh, they knew from that moment on that they were going to be singing together because they knew how special and unique their voices sounded together. So I feel like with, with these two guys, it's kind of the same thing, man. I mean, there, there's just something about their voices when they come together. So, um, you know, we could just play the, the first track, dude, if you want to. Yeah, let's do that, man. Because I mean, let's, 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 yeah, let's, let's, and, and this track in particular is a, is a actually a perfect example of of um what these guys do really well because it's it's just their guitars and their voices so track one on the album is called homesick and uh that's going to be our first clip from this album so we've got a couple clips from this here's here's the first one 
and I imagine it's just the beginning of the song, right, Trev? Correct. Cool. Song. So there they are. Yeah, there they I are. I love it, man. So something that I that I really wanted to kind of hone in on is that opening line about So I'm just going to read the lyrics here. It says, "I'll lose some sales and my boss won't be happy, but I can't stop listening to the sound of two soft voices blended in perfection from the reels of this record that I found." So I can speculate that they're talking about Simon and Garfunkel, maybe. I or, think the same thing, dude. Yeah, something because, like that. Yeah, I mean, but but the funny it's almost thing like is, a nod. It's it's almost like a nod to, it, dude. It's got to be Simon and Garfunkel, man. But the funny really? thing is, like, I like they are talking about themselves in a way. Yeah, I mean, that's not what they're doing. But what I'm saying is, like, the the funny thing is, they are. Two soft voices blended in perfection, right? Which yeah. makes me—that's th- what makes me think they are talking about Simon, a and, Simon Garfunkel. and Garfunkel record. Because, yeah. and uh, so I, I was listening to some interviews of them, and one of the one of the interviewers straight up asked them like point blank, "Hey, there's this cliche that gets thrown around that you guys are the modern day Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, how do you respond to that?" And you know, they said, "Yeah, you know the." Um, you know, the comparisons are obvious, you know, is essentially what they said. But so, so maybe, you know, after their first record came out, maybe that was, you know, thrown, thrown around that comparison. And so like on the opening track of, of their next album, they just, you know, like you said, they just nod to it right off the bat, you know? Yeah. Yeah, dude. But, but, um, you know, the, the, just the, the idea of that, that, the, that this person is so enamored with this record that he's listening to that that his uh you know his sales are going to suffer at work you know his yeah. boss is not going to be happy with his sales because he's just so like intrigued by this record that he's been listening to he's kind of, right he's kind of daydreaming um yeah what song was it that we played last week for Crosby Stills and Nash that was singing about the 9 to 5 the daily grind yeah um man what was that called was it you don't have to cry 
Yes. Or was yes, he? Yes, it was okay. You Don't Have to Cry. Okay, dude, yeah, that, it's it's weird because there, right. this song is very similar to that. Like the right. second line after 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 what you read, every day there's a boy in the mirror asking me, what are you doing here? Finding all my previous motives growing increasingly unclear. That's almost the same kind of crisis that you have when you reach, reach a certain age. Like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, all my childhood dreams are just gone. Like, I'm just, I've got a boss that's unhappy with my sales. Like, what right. the fuck? You know, like midlife crisis kind of thing. Like, yeah, and then and then so so let's play the next clip because there's there's a lyric coming up that that I want to address, but but we'll let them sing it first. Okay. And I think this I think the next clip just plays the song out basically. So So I lose some sales and my boss won't be happy, but there's only one thing on my mind. Searching boxes underneath the counter on a chance that on the tape I'd find a song for someone who needs somewhere to long lyrics dude at the end i love that so much i know so yeah let's just read it again so basically they go back to the the opening uh lyric and they say so i'll lose some sales and my boss won't be happy they say that again but this time they're saying there's only one thing on my mind searching boxes underneath the counter on a chance that on a tape i'd find a song for someone who needs somewhere to long for homesick because I no longer know where home is. That's what gets me right there. Those lines dude. because when you think of like the, the, the phrase or the, the word homesick, if yeah. you're homesick, you're homesick for home. Like you're homesick for a certain place, but he's saying I'm homesick because I no longer know where home is. That's just, so he doesn't yeah so so there's no he's he is long yeah he's longing for a home yeah he he's homesick for 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 anything that resembles like uh some uh, somewhere to to rest your head you know but what's interesting is is that he's he's implying that 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 he finds home in this music in music yeah because he's saying that he's searching in these crates for a tape uh, to find a song for someone who needs somewhere to long for. God, it's so good. Yeah, it's, man. it's gorgeous, man. Oh. Yeah, but um, and so okay. Now let's talk about the guitar. Beautiful. Because I think just as 
as perfect as their voices are together, these two guys play guitar perfectly. Like their guitar harmonies are perfect. They, I feel like their guitar harmonies are some of the best. I mean, really. It's funny, They're, dude. Actually, I've got a quote here from uh, Acoustic Guitar Magazine, an interview they did back in December of 2014. Wait, not 2014. I wrote that wrong. <laughs> December of 2004. So uh, the same year that this album came out. Um, basically, the question was, what guitars do you guys play? Um and I think it was Erland, he says, the problem that we've had all of our lives is that we've never had anyone our age who we can ask for advice. The only person we can ask is Nick Drake. Hmm. He's dead. Simon and Garfunkel, their manager probably won't let us talk to them. <laughs> all, these, <laughs> all these artists from the 60s could probably help us get the sound that we want. But when we want to record ourselves... There's no one there. So... I mean, look, uh, they don't need help. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I think, I think obviously, they're, what they're, they're, they're nodding to their influences, right? They're, per, you know... Right. Nick Drake, uh, another perfect example of, like... The, the, the king of guitar, like, finger-picking on a guitar. And, like, interesting um, tuning of guitar and stuff like he, that. But not to mention, yeah, and you have to mention his voice, too. I mean, and Nick his Drake's voice, voice right. is just... It's right. just un, unmatched, you know what I mean? I also just read somewhere, I, I, I can't tell you off the top of my head where it was from, but Erland had like a handful of guitar lessons, like maybe five or so when he was young. Other than that, both of them are self-taught. So that is also pretty goddamn impressive. Yeah, that's really impressive. Uh, and that because... might that might add to the uniqueness of their guitar playing because, you know, if you're structurally taught or whatever you might not necessarily have these unique you know thoughtful guitar lines i mean that's that's impressive as hell dude because i can tell you right now um from experience as a guitar player anyone can pick up and uh, you know learn some power chords and learn a blues scale or something like that and kind of you know jam with that for a while but these melodies these like jazz uh, patterns i guess because i mean it's not they're not doing jazz jazz but i mean their their music is jazz influenced sometimes like uh, for sure there's some uh there's some samba did i say that yeah. right this time q you did good you on did me. good on me uh but, bossa nova uh, that bossa kind of nova stuff. samba jazz and in particular is, is one of the hardest um genres to to master styles oh it doesn't playing. matter what instrument you play dude exactly yeah, uh, exactly jazz drums get out of here with that man it makes yeah. me feel so like inferior as a right. drummer right yeah so so the fact that they are self-taught and, and they're able to put these melodies together is super impressive uh one more thing yeah. i wanted to say about this track or at least or at least about the uh liner notes in the in the record uh i thought this was kind of funny at the end of each track, so on the back they've got the lyrics, and at the end they have all the personnel, basically. So this is only them two on this particular track, but it says, high voice and nylon string guitar is Eric, low voice and electric guitar is Erland. I just thought that was funny that they that they wanted to, to point out 
who is singing the low and high parts. Who's high and who's low. Yeah, yeah, instead of just saying, you know, vocals from Eric and Erland. But, yeah, so that's that's an acoustic and an electric guitar. You know, a very clean jazz electric guitar tone and then the, the acoustic guitar. But Yeah, I want to say real quick here, one difference, like if you if you dive into these guys a little bit, if you listen to their first album, Quiet is the New Loud, which came out in, what, 2000? No, 2001, maybe? No, 2000. It's even softer than this album. There's drums in it, but most of it's mainly acoustic songs. But I'm looking at the personnel. Yeah. Even on this album, they're the only two players that drum on this album, which is pretty fucking cool. Erland and Eirik are the only two that are actually behind a kit. Besides, <laughs> it says in the notes here, additional symbols. This other guy, Peter Cates, additional symbols and hi-hat. But, <laughs> but otherwise, it's just Erland and Eric that provide the drums on these songs. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is um, cool. So let's play our second track, which actually does have some drums in it. Um, it's track six on the album. It's called Sorry or Please. lot of great stuff happening in this track yeah just everything about it just a, yeah just lovely yeah i know i don't know where to begin because i'm just not on their level dude you know <laughs> we're not worthy dude we're not worthy. yeah right but yeah okay so let's talk about um those live videos that we saw of them playing oh. in I don't remember where they were playing. It was, you're talking about in Seoul, Korea? Okay, they were playing in Seoul, Korea. and um, That was before the release of Declaration of Dependence, which came out in 2009, their third full-length album. Yeah, so this was our only way to hear new music from Kings of Convenience, basically. And I remember what was so, what I liked so much about it was when, when they brought that dude on stage with the, uh, with the viola. Yeah. You know, so they always find a way to bring in 
these the, the you know like a a, a a trumpet you know or a viola or like this this dude's upright bass you know it's just yeah like, there's something special about that performance dude just yeah. something about it like the audience was just so Eating out of into their it, palms man. Like just everything about it was yeah was so beautiful you know when they talk about forming and deciding to to be an acoustic duo you know they talked about hey we're the kings of convenience you know it's just two two guys two guitars we can go anywhere you know that was kind of their whole thing but along the way and and with every even the the first album they are creative enough and smart enough to know when to bring in all these other great instruments man that really add a lot to the tracks you know yeah that's that's a good way to think about it like they're smart enough to know exactly what to bring but it, it they never overcrowd it you know yeah it's like they only bring what is absolutely necessary to make a just a beautiful song. Yeah, they they know when to collaborate with like the right people, you know. And speaking of collaborations, uh, I think we mentioned this earlier, but Feist shows up on this album twice. So you know, talk about knowing when to collaborate with someone. Like Feist provides such a great like touch to the two tracks that she um, sings on. Uh, one of which we'll play, which is the one we'll play after this track. But we have one more clip from Sorry or Please. And what's interesting about this clip is that you're going to hear a banjo. Ireland plays a banjo at the end of the song, which, again, it's like a banjo. You know what I mean? Like to, to, to <laughs> you, You're on a different level when you... Yeah, right. He, it, at one point he was like, all right, I got to have a, I got to have a banjo for this last part here. It's banjo time. That's what I'm saying. Like you're on a different level when, when you hear a song and and say a banjo is really going to help this, and it does. Like it's it's perfect. You know what I mean? It really makes it that much more interesting of a song uh, when when the banjo comes in because it comes out of nowhere and it just sounds delightful. So anyway, let's hear that banjo cue. I don't normally beg for assistance. I rely on my own eyes to see But right now they make no sense to me Right now you make no sense to me I just want to read these lyrics real quick, dude, because this is one of those lines from this album that has always stuck with me. And there's a lot of lyrics throughout this album that have stuck with me through these years, like resonates with me. He says, I don't normally beg for assistance. I rely on my own eyes to see. But right now, they make no sense to me. And then he says, right now, you make no sense to me. That's just such a good line, dude. It's it's so good. 
they've always they've always had really interesting lyrics man they, i mean really just to add to their to, to everything about them that makes them so great it's like the lyrics are always interesting you know always i love it man there's a really interesting quote about the lyrics from Eric or Eric. He says that the lyrics are quite personal, but as we're singing in a language that's not our native language, it's different. If I were English, I think the lyrics were revealing too much about myself, but as it's not my own language, I don't think I am. Wow. So that's interesting. It's almost like they, 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 they feel like they can get more personal because it's not their language that they're writing these lyrics in. Because the lyrics take on a different meaning um, than perhaps how they would have written it if they wrote it in their native tongue. That's cool. So that was taken from a um, a 2000 interview from a publication called Audio Street. So that was before they wrote the, but that was before this album. But but nonetheless, they're, they're talking about their their lyrics, you know, and then certainly on their first album, a lot of their lyrics were like about heart heartbreak. You know, it's a lot about heartbreak and missed opportunities with his love life and stuff like that yeah so. well I'll, I'll quote Aaron one more time here the reason I make this music is because I always want to hear more of it it's the music that makes me feel very peaceful and speaks to me more than other music uh, he says of course it's a bit sad but it's what I think is beautiful you need music that you can relate to at any time whatever mood you're in yeah, I mean that's a great way to, to 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 put it. And you know, there's not a lot of of music out there that sounds like this right now. You know, of course there 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 were a lot of bands that did the folk pop thing back in the early two thousands, but uh, they're just on a whole different um, plane. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get into the our last pick for for this album. So this song is called the build up. And it is very quiet, slow, and dark at first. And then uh, the second clip, uh, you'll get to hear Feist. And she does something very interesting with the song. So we'll just leave it at that. But let's play the first clip to kind of get a feel. The lasted for days. Lasted for weeks Lasted too Wanting to 
So, again, very slow. I'm trying to analyze these lyrics and figure out if this is a, is it a metaphor for the song? Are they talking about the, the buildup to this next part that's about to happen? I don't think so, man. Probably not, but you, you know how, how these two guys can be kind of, um, they have a very dry sense of humor, and they're very, they're very funny guys. Um, when you watch concert videos of them, how they interact with each other. Yeah, they, they goof around a lot, which is another reason I like them so much. Yeah, but anyway, here are the lyrics, because again, the lyrics are always really compelling. It says, the, the buildup lasted for days, lasted for weeks, lasted too long. Our hero withdrew when there was two. He could not choose one, so there was none. Worn into the vaguely announced. I don't know what he's talking about, dude. I really don't. <laughs> but um, I really, I mean, do you have any idea? I All I can think about is that there's this tension that's lasting for too long. And then when it actually builds up to this moment, it was like underwhelming. <laughs> that's yeah. all I can think of. I mean, because like, but, but then the yeah. next part when Feist comes in, her lyrics, yeah. I think, I think there's something really like poetic and, and moving about the lyrics in this next part. But yeah, let's, yeah, let's do it. So, so here's, here's when Feist comes in.
and that's how the record ends. Um, so that's that. There's a line she's repeating uh, this line over and over again. Uh, she's saying the spinning top made a sound like a train across the valley, fading oh so quiet, but constant till it passed over the ridge into the distances written on your ticket to remind you where to stop and where to get off. There's a lot. There's a lot of metaphors going on here. So this person's on a train, perhaps. You know, and he's lost in, in this thought, you know, and um, he has to be reminded when to get off uh, based on the, you know, the, the the distances written on the ticket to remind him where to stop and get off because he's just, you know, he's lost in this, in this thought. Yeah. My favorite part about her contribution to this song is how, so she sings these lines, I think, three times through. Yeah. Every time she sings it, she'll emphasize these the syllables a little bit differently like so every time you hear it it's it's just slightly different and i think it's really cool that she decided to kind of sing it slightly differently each time to kind of keep you uh interested really pretty really pretty yeah and and and, you know there is a reason that you repeat something three times and like you said that it's sung slightly differently each time is there some sort of meaning behind that you know is there some sort of meaning behind the, the repetition of it and like that it's a it's different every time you know right and that's one of those things where like I, I can't think of like the example but there's a sentence that when you read it and if you emphasize syllables or emphasize words differently every time you read that sentence the meaning changes depending on how you say it or where the comma is you know right exactly yeah really cool I, I think it's cool that the last person that you hear on this album is Feist. It's not Erland or yeah. Eric. It's Feist. Yeah, and it's worth noting that um, I think I said that it was both uh, both Eric and, and Erland singing on this track, but it's mostly Erland. He's he's the singer in the first part of the song. Erland provides just some slight harmony, but this is mainly a song, a, a duo between Erland and Feist. Really, uh, Erland is doing the drums and the guitar and and vocals. And then, and then Feist is, is singing at the end. Um, but yeah, again, um, it's just a, it's a perfect collaboration. I love it, man. Um, yeah, so that's our take on Kings of Convenience and their second studio album, Riot on an Empty Street, which came out in 2004. Yeah, if you, if you, have, never, if you have never heard Kings of Convenience before, go and listen to this album all the way through. Because there are so many interesting things that happen throughout the album. Um, I think this is a good album for a starting point too, because it's a little yes. bit, it's a little more approachable than their I first think the album. Produ- I think the production value is higher too. I think it, I think the recording itself is just better. Um, this is one of those records that you can put on if you have a turntable uh, and, and a good set of speakers. Like this is one of those albums that you put on, you know. It just sound the, the the guitar just sounds so rich coming coming through this album, so get yourself a good set of headphones or a good set of speakers to listen to this album because it's it's worth it. Yeah, so that should do it for this week, and uh, check back midweek for our sidetrack episode for Kings of Convenience. We're not hundred percent sure yet on uh, what we're gonna cover. We've got a few ideas, um, but check back about Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, this week and we'll have 
we'll have our sidetrack episode up check us out on soundcloud you can stream us on there you can check us out on itunes or any other podcast app uh we also have a beautiful website made by yours truly travis stop it my brother uh nofillerpodcast.com there you can check out our show notes where you know we'll post articles and uh links to videos and whatnot anything anything that we referenced in an episode we try our best to kind of provide more information for you on our website and uh trav do you want to cover the outro artist for this week yeah so um i believe it was eric that said uh red house painter was a group that he was really into i think it was somebody in the in the audience at some some concert video that i watched just yelled out a question like who's your favorite band right now or something like that and he said red house painter so (laughs) it's red house painters red house painters this is one band that they agree on as both Erland and Eric's favorite band, Red House Painters. They started in 1988. And it's funny, if you, on their uh, Wikipedia page, genres that they're, that they're listed under, folk rock, indie rock, slowcore. Never heard that before, have you? Slowcore. Slowcore. It fits, man. They are very subdued. Um, uh, yeah, they're almost kind of a shoegaze kind of band a little bit yeah you can definitely see how 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 this band was a huge influence and uh you know one of their one of their favorites um the song that we're gonna close out this episode with is called katie song and it came out on their uh self-titled album that came out in 1993 called red house painters because that's what self-titled means uh it's track three on the album again it's called katie song and uh yeah we'll just close out out this episode with that song (laughs) (laughs) again check back midweek for our sidetrack episode uh all right my name's quentin my name is travis y'all take care now A chance for karma, hope for freedom Outlet from my cold, solitary kingdom By the forest of our spring stay Where you walked away And left a bleeding part of me Empty and bothered Watching the water Quiet in the corner Numb and falling through Without you What does my life amount to?
what would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.